A dragon shriek ripped through the calm espresso air of Stein's Cafe on Christiania Street. The soft strains of chatter lulled as a few coffee drinkers paused their conversations to glance over at the barista, who shoved a mess of black bangs under her bandana and tightened her grip on a ferret-sized fire dragon. She pressed dusty coffee grinds into the filter and tugged on the dragon's spiny neck until a stream of flame spewed from its mouth and heated the machine's charred bronze pot. Mumbling a curse, the barista gritted her teeth against the dragon's reptile squirms and plunged its snout into a steel container of bear's milk. Fluffy frothing sounds came from the coffee bar until in one quick, practiced motion, the barista yanked the dragon back, flicked it into a cage hanging from the ceiling, and slammed the door shut. Escape from in there, she snapped. Little dragon bite scars dotted her hands from years of making espresso. She poured the steamed milk into a mug and clunked it onto the counter. Bear's milk latte, she called. The dragon, along with four others, sprang into frantic flight, smashing their bodies off the bars and making the cage swing widely on its chain. Cut it out, the barista growled, spinning around and threatening the creatures with a glass of water. The winged amphibians settled onto their prison perches, clung to them with their filed-down claws. As the cages lurching slowed to a sway, one of the monsters shot a breath of fire at the barista. Another fixed its gaze on Sim, who was sitting alone three tables away. Her dark hair fell in waves onto an open newspaper, but she looked at the street outside as if lost in a daydream. With a jerk, Sim glanced at the dragon's rust-red face and scaled body, its pointed joints and paper-thin wings. The things were creepy, but they made amazing coffee. The cafes on the other side of the Brigantine River used magic dust to fuel gadgets that heated water into steam and brewed a bitter sludge that tasted like earwax. The coffee in the bikeway narrows, like everything in that tiny and isolated part of the city, was different. Sim looked away from the fire dragons and back out the window where the locked up bikes and rusty wheels covered the fence guarding the front of the cafe along with an iron dragon that struck a clawed pose near the door. The coffee at Stein's cost one soul, equal to one gram of magic dust, a third of what it cost in greater terrorism and five times better. In the middle of the cafe, a chandelier made out of beer bottles and candle stubs dripped a spiral galaxy of wax onto the center of a long communal table, where coffee drinkers lost themselves in newspapers or books, or argued politics and social theory from their mismatched chairs. Sim sat next to the overstocked bookshelves, which had spilled their burden onto the floor in high stacks of hardcovers at a small table made from a cross-section of an old oak tree. A handful of regulars seemed to frequent the coffee shop as often as Sim did, but she never talked to them. She was separate, awkward, still new to the city. She had found Steins a week ago, on her second day in Terrison and her first day in the bikeway Narrows. The memory of the night she had run away wrapped around Sim's thoughts, blurring the words of her newspaper. She couldn't help but wonder how she'd ended up in this strange place, so far away from everything she'd ever known. And as much as she didn't want to think about it, her mind went back once again to the night that haunted her. The train station's platform was dark and empty. Translucent globes with fairies trapped inside them dotted the station house's back wall, shedding a little light onto the murky tracks. 
A ruffling sound came from the platform's far end. Think you can steal from us and get away with it? A man's voice said, followed by the sound of a kick and a grunt. Hold him tight, boys. Adrenaline set Sim's ears ringing. She pulled a wand out of her inner coat pocket, a wand that wasn't hers, that she had no clue how to even use, a wand that was the reason she'd been forced to run. But holding it in front of her made her feel braver somehow, so she kept it there and clutched the smooth wood as she stepped down the dirty platform toward the noises. Five men were huddled there in a circle. Two of them were restraining a guy in Quester's clothes, knee-high leather boots, a wide belt with a sheath hanging from the side, leather bands around his forearms. "'I'll teach you to choose your quests more carefully, boy,' the middle one said. He swung back his arm and planted his knuckles into the quester's nose. They were going to kill him, Sim realized in a flash. Any rational person would have crept back into the shadows and hid until the men had left, but Sim didn't have time to think rationally. She shook her wand and delivered an attack spell at the man's back. She didn't know how she'd done it. She felt like raw fear was streaming from the center of her body, down her arm, and out of the wand in the form of a lightning bolt. The other two men spun around to face her, but Sim sent a bolt at each of them before they could react. The two men who were holding the quester dropped him to the ground. Magic weaver, one growled under his breath as he pulled out a dagger. The other had a gun powered by magic dust. He pulled the trigger and sent a red bullet of energy at Sim, but she flicked it away with her wand, sent a bolt at his chest, and then at the others, just as he was reaching his arm back to throw the knife. Sim blinked. The night air was cold. A chilly breeze blew through her open jacket. The quester was on the ground, cradling his stomach. Around him, the five men littered the platform in various states of incapacity. Sim tucked her wand back into her jacket. A train whistle howled through the night. There was no time to see if the men were still alive. Sim grabbed the quester's sword by its heavy hilt and dragged it back to him. What are you doing? He moaned as she tried to shove the sword back into its sheath. The train creaked to a stop. Sim's heart skipped a beat. She couldn't miss it. If she missed the train, they'd catch her for sure. The doors flew open and she flung the sword inside. Gasps of pain grumbled out of the quester's slightly parted lips. Sim grabbed his leather wristbands and dragged him across the platform and into the car. Her shoes scuffed against the compartment's hardwood floor. Sim grunted, leading her weight back, and gave him one last good yank. The quester's boots slid into the car just as the iron door snapped shut inches away from the rubber soles. Tickets? The trainmaster hovered above them in his red suit and cylindrical gold-trimmed hat. He looked down at the quester with an expression that made Sim worry he'd kick them off the train. Her hands shook as she searched through her pockets. Here, she said, handing him the slip of paper. And his? The bag on my belt, the quester mumbled without opening his eyes. Sim unbuckled the dirty canvas pouch and shifted through a handful of potions until her fingers grazed the folded ticket. The train lurched forward. Her hand was still shaking when she held out the quester's pass, but Sim did her best to make her gaze defiant. The trainmaster frowned, probably disappointed that he'd have to let them ride, and handed the tickets back to her. Take a seat, please, he said, and stepped over the nearly unconscious quester. The quester was heavier than he looked. Sim dragged him to one of the booths and pushed him up against the window. She pulled his legs out of the aisle and sat next to him, holding onto his bicep to make sure he didn't slip out of the seat when the train hit, especially violent bumps. 
He looked about twenty, with dark hair and scruff on his chin that was on the verge of becoming a beard. His bottom lip was swollen and split open, his left eye already turning bright pink from bright pink to deep purple. Sim held a handkerchief under his nose until the blood dried around his nostrils in a dark maroon crust. Eventually, he blinked his eyes open, pulled out a green potion, and swallowed it in one gulp. For a full minute, he stared blankly at the back of the seat in front of him, and then jumped and looked over at Sim. "'Who are you?' he asked, his back against the window. "'I'm Sim,' she breathed, still shaken from everything that had happened. The quester scanned his eyes around the empty car and then laughed. "'You saved my ass, didn't you?' "'I guess so.' "'Awesome.' He smiled and grimaced from the cut on his lip. Thanks for that, Sim. I'm Cater. They shook hands. So what brings you out to this remote part of the excerpts, he asked. I grew up here, Sim said carefully. I'm going to Terrison, moving there. Oh, really? To what part of the city? I'm not sure yet, Sim said after a pause. Cater frowned at her and narrowed his eyes. You don't have a place to stay, do you? I'll find one. Hey, listen, you should just stay at my place. There's room for another person. You'd have a whole room to yourself. If you hate it, you can always find somewhere else to live. It's the least I can do, after you help me out back there. I owe you a lot more than that. I don't want to be any trouble. Hey, things happen for a reason, you know? Cater said with a grin. There was a reason you came onto the platform when you did. A reason that those men chose that train station as the place to jump me. We can't just ignore the synchronicity behind all of this. And besides, the house is huge. Half of the rooms aren't even being used. And I can help you find a job. I know people. You're sure it won't be a problem? Not at all. And that was amazing what you did back there on the platform, by the way. He glanced at Sim's plain servant's dress. Are you a quester in disguise? Sim shook her head. No. The moment took me over, I think. I have no idea how I cast those spells. The wand pressed into her ribs. She hoped he wouldn't ask about it. Why were those guys after you? Ah, they stole a lot of money from someone, and then I was hired to steal it back. They weren't too happy about it, you know? Don't know how they tracked me down, though. I must be getting sloppy. Time to head back to the city and reboot, for sure. Cater's eyelids started to droop. You should sleep, Sim said. I'll wake you up when we get there. Cater nodded and leaned his head against the window. Sim couldn't have slept if her life depended on it, not with all that had happened that night and the incredible uncertainty that lay before her. Back in Stein's, Sim turned her attention to the newspaper she was reading. It was better not to think about where she'd come from, better to think about something else. Polkra was sending more troops to Sikor, the article said, where monsters were leveling towns along the country's northern border. The soldiers had started to call the things ogres from the Sikorian word for oozing. Sim finished the story with a sigh and looked up to catch the stare of a girl who was sitting at a table nearby, the same newspaper held before her in a neat fold. Her eyes were the color of moss and dark honey, with eyelids that drooped in a way that made her look either bored or slightly sleepy. She wore an old black t-shirt with a neckline cut low and the sleeves torn off. Sim held the girl's gaze for a moment longer and looked down, blushing. She locked her eyes on a coffee stain that had left a ring around the middle of the headline and wondered what she'd done to attract the girl's stare. No one ever noticed her. Sim stood and took her mug to the dish bin, using the action as a cover to glance across the room again. 
The girl had gone back to reading. A racket arose from the dragon cage. The screeches and rattling iron caught the attention of a few customers sitting at the coffee bar, but most of them seemed not to notice. The other baristas were better at keeping the dragons placid. This one held her hands up in exasperation and then, in one quick movement, grabbed a glass of water and doused the cage. The dragon shriek stopped. A girl near the bar jumped up and flicked water from her arms. No more espresso drinks, folks, the barista yelled an exaggerated, with an exaggerated shrug. Spinning around, she threw the glass at a wall behind the counter and turned away as it smashed to the floor. The guy working the cash register glanced up at her. Dude, you need to calm down, he said, shaking his head. Fine, she waved a hand at the dragons. You deal with them, then. She stomped outside and squatted against the bike fence, glaring out at the street. The fire dragons quivered in a heap at the bottom of their cage. Water dripped from their claws and wing bones. Sim placed her mug in the bin and looked up at the girl's table again, but it was empty. She was gone. The barista was still brooding when Sim walked past her and onto Christiania Street, where summer sunbeams warmed the shoulders of the young people walking together in twos or threes, hiding their eyes behind dark sunglasses and sharing stories of debauchery from the night before. They wore leather boots, tank tops, and jeans that had been cut short against the summer heat. Their hair would have earned them confused or judgmental stares had they been in the small town where Sim had grown up, but their non-conventional cuts fit the bikeway narrows, where nature was slowly reclaiming the old edifices of what had once been a vibrant industrial neighborhood. A chrome track bike swerved around Sim, nearly hitting her. Its angry rider glared over his shoulder through brown-tinted goggles and then continued on with a shake of his head. Like an idiot, she'd been scanning the sidewalk instead of watching where she was going, hoping to catch sight of the girl from the cafe, not even sure why she was so curious about this random person. Across the street from Stein's, overgrown vines stretched between a small vegan bakery and a rotting three-story. Sim pulled the plants aside and stepped into the smell of hot vegetable death. The alley was like a giant compost heap. Trash peeked between the weeds and crumbled chunks of brick crunched under Sim's boots. She stepped toward the old wall, an imposing stretch of masonry that towered over the shorter buildings of the Narrows. Its top walkway was lined with pillars and gaps where archers used to sit and wait for approaching enemies. Now the bikers strolled along the path and sat in the grass patches growing between cracks in the mortar. No one ever came back here, to the space at the bottom of the wall where Sim liked to hide her cruiser, even though everyone else left their bikes out in the open. Sim pedaled past Steins, past a whiskey well called the Blue Carnation, and past a closet of a bookshop. She left Christiania and glided up to a small shop that sat in the middle of an abandoned, blo- an abandoned block of apartments. Hardly anyone ever went down this street, just two blocks away from the bustle of Christiania. Sim leaned her bike against the shop's brick wall and pushed into the old books, grease, and must smell of the incubator. Even after a week of Sim's intensive cleaning, the shop was still dusty and cluttered. Twisted handlebars and bicycle frames were piled against one wall, broken grandfather clocks lined another. There were screws and cogs and tools everywhere. As far as Sim could tell, the shop used to be a grocery store. She'd spent two full days throwing away old cans of food and blackened loaves of bread, and another day pulling out old shelves onto the curb where they'd been quickly spotted and claimed. 
Azer appeared from his workshop in the back just as Sim dropped her bag behind the counter. He was older than most of the people in the Narrows, with a graying lion's mane of hair and small bright eyes that were bordered by tiny wrinkles. He had to be at least six feet tall, and he towered above her in a way that was often intimidating, but his voice was soft and his smile genuine. Cater knew him through questing acquaintances, and had gotten her a job at the new fix-it shop, just as he'd promised. You can finish cleaning the front of the shop today, Azer said, getting straight to business. Those boxes need to be unpacked and everything cleaned. I have a lot of work to do in the back. We're just about ready to open. Two more days, maybe. I have some inventions that are very nearly finished. Anything exciting? Sim asked. He tilted his chin up and narrowed his eyes. It's all exciting, he said with a grin, and turned from her. He disappeared behind the maroon curtain hanging between two floor-to-ceiling bookcases which separated the storefront from his workshop in the back. It wasn't long before dirt marked a black line between Sim's short, beneath Sim's short fingernails and dust spotted the black jeans she'd bought the day before. Pants that were loose around the ankles would get caught in her bike chain and ruined with grease, so she had bought a pair of the tight-fitting jeans that everyone in the Narrows seemed to wear. The days were starting to get hot, though, and once she made more money, she'd have to head back to the thrift shop on Christiania and get some shorts. Sim stood and stretched her neck. She'd been unloading boxes for hours now, taking breaks in between to clean the shop so that the work wouldn't get monotonous. For as long as she could remember, she'd always been cleaning for someone. At least Azer was nice, even if he was a bit strange, and he paid her well. Sim threw her dust rag onto the counter and pried open a box full of books. She piled them onto the counter and paused when the title of one caught her attention. Brewery Basics was stamped across the cover in in simple, bold letters. The table of content listed chapters outlining how to set up a microbrewery and brew small batches of beer. Take it. Sim jumped. She put the book back on the counter and grabbed a rag. I was just looking at it, Sim explained. I'm almost finished. I just have to put the rest of these books away. Azer ran his hand over the book's cover. Brewing is illegal, you know, he said, staring at it. I know. I got a lot of good memories from this book, he interrupted, and then glanced up at her. Made me a lot of money, too. He held it out to her. You really don't have to... Just don't get caught, and if you do, don't say you got it here. His clear gaze held hers, adding weight to his words. I won't, Sim said, and took the book from him, frowning because Azer didn't seem like the type of guy who would break the law, even if he had set up shop in the bikeway narrows. Thanks, she added. Azer nodded. You live on the other side of the river, right? he asked. He was gazing out the window at the buildings across the street. Yeah, of course she did. Everyone did. You should be heading back then. It isn't safe to bike back too late. You can finish in the morning. He opened the front door and flipped down a kickstand that he'd bolted there to serve as a doorstop. Sim slipped brewery basics into her bag, made sure it was closed tight, and stepped around the clutter behind the counter. Good work, Sim, Azer called after her as she rode away. Thanks, she yelled back over her shoulder. Three friends were riding ahead of her when she got to the street that ended at the bridge's on-ramp, the path that everyone took to get back into Greater Terrison. A girl with a faux hawk and low-curved handlebars led the way until the three riders got to the bridge, stood on their pedals, and zipped up the incline so that Sim was left happily alone. The once bright red steel of the Narrows Bridge was now faded to a sickly pink. 
Its iron supports with their splotchy red rust patches jutted out of the river like the dead fingers of a frozen mechanical giant. Carriages were too big to cross the bridge, and no one was crazy enough to walk through the 14 blocks of abandoned factories that buffered the bikeway narrows from the Brigantine River. Because of this, only bikers and brave souls with skateboards ever went there. A feeling of heavy clumsiness settled into Sim's legs. She struggled up the bridge, gasped for air, and tried to ignore the burning in her thighs. Five people passed her before she reached the bridge's apex and flew down the other side. But the biking didn't get easier after the bridge. Greater Terrison, with its speeding hired drivers and oblivious pedestrians, was hostile to bikers. The whole ride home, Sim had visions of smashing into an open carriage door and crumpling into traffic, getting crunched under the wheels of a roaring truck. But she wouldn't let a little danger daunt her. She made it back to the quiet, leafy roads leading up to Kailash Street and the three-story red brick house that looked as if it belonged on a hill somewhere in the countryside, not squashed between boxy apartment buildings. The first week at Kailash had been a time of uncertainty and hesitation. The sky had been black when Sim and Cater had gotten off the train and emerged onto the sparkling, billboarded streets of Central Terrason. Sim had followed Cater in a daze as he walked through the crowded sidewalks, away from the shops with high windows and brightly lit displays toward darker, quieter city streets. I know it's far, he said, but it's safest to walk. We're almost there. By the time they had arrived, Sim was so tired that she went straight to the room he had said could be hers and collapsed onto the bed. The soft scent of frying dough had gently roused Sim from her dreams the following morning. She'd never woken up to the smell of pancakes. Her stomach growled, but she stayed in place, casting her eyes about her new room until she was convinced that she wasn't still dreaming. Dusty sheets covered most of the furniture, but the room was large and bright. Sim fought the urge to stay in bed until Cater came to look for her. On the train, he told her that his roommate Kai was a Munian immigrant, an absolutely amazing cook, and that she could be bossy, but that Sim would learn to ignore it. Their third roommate was Prudence, who had been gone for the past three months and was still off questing somewhere in the hinterlands. Finally, Kai said, when Sim made her way down to the kitchen, it's nearly noon. Kai turned to face her, hands on her hips. She was thin, almost waifish, with a guarded expression set behind her thick-framed glasses. On the counter behind her was a series of tubes, beakers, and ring stands with different colored potions swirling through them. The huge kitchen took up nearly half of Kailash's first floor. The stone counter with the potion-brewing equipment stretched along the length of one wall. Another wall held a shelf lined with tiny vials and mason jars filled with dried herbs. Kai studied Sim from behind her glasses and then turned back to the stove to flip the latest batch of pancakes. Those are for you, she said, pointing a spatula toward a covered plate. Cater's already left. Thanks, Sim said, noting Kai's accent. She talked like the Munian dignitaries who would go to Nagran's fancy parties, whom Sim always tended to avoid because they were more pompous and proper than any of his other guests. The accent sounded out of place in a kitchen. But Kai looked at home, standing over the stove. Kai came to sit with her, and Sim grasped for something to talk about. So, Cater said that you're from Munia. Kai looked up at her. Yes. That's cool. Kai raised her eyebrows and dug into her pancakes. You're a potions master, Sim asked, eyeing the equipment laid out on the counter. 
I'm hardly a master, Kai said with a snort. The magic's in the plants. I'm glad you brought that up, though. You'll have to help in the garden if you're going to be staying with us. Yeah, of course. That would be great. Sim focused on her breakfast until it was finished. Kai took their plates to the sink and then brought Sim to the backyard where spiraling towers dotted the patch of land behind the house like wisps of dark green smoke. The tops of the highest spirals reached just below the cone roof of the house's highest turret. Beds of vegetables covered the ground between the spirals and rose up in steps to a fence at the back of the lot. Each vertical plot has at least 20 different herb species, Kai said proudly. She pointed to the thick mother spiral at the center of the garden. That one has over a hundred. Most of those prefer shade, so it doesn't need to be as thin as the others. It's a system that they've perfected in Munia. How do you... Tubes of dirt or water, it depends on the plant type, form the structure for each spiral. Kai pulled back a handful of a plant that smelled like mint, showing a copper pipe with the top fourth of it sliced off to expose just enough dirt for the plants to sprout. Holes drilled into the sides of the tubing allowed the herbs to grow sideways as well as vertically. Kai glanced at Sim and continued, They're complicated, but don't worry, you won't be dealing with them. Weeding. That was the chore she had been assigned to supplement her rent. Sim hated it, but she didn't dare say so. She didn't know where she would go if Cater and Kai told her to leave. She pushed her bike against the back of the house and went to the cucumber bed. Her knees sunk into the moist grass surrounding the wooden planter, and her fingertips grew cool as they became coated with earth. She pulled out one tiny green shoot after another until the whole bed was clear of them. "'How was work?' Kai asked, when Sim pushed her way into the kitchen. "'Oh, it was fine. Azur should be paying me soon so I can start giving you rent.' Kai nodded and dropped a handful of leaves into a boiling pot. Sim went to the sink and wrinkled her nose against the bitter smell coming from the stove. "'What are you working on?' she asked. "'Sleeping potion.' Kai threw in a sprinkle of little black seeds. "'It takes a whole day to brew.' "'Do you know when Cater will be back?' "'Well, it depends on how many orders he has.' Cater had only one condition for Sim living with them. She was never, ever to speak a word about the potion business he and Kai ran out of their kitchen.' Sim was sure that the whole thing was illegal and that Cater was probably selling the potions without the proper permits. She was sure he'd love the brewing book. Sim left the kitchen, walked through the small foyer with a staircase that led to an upstairs hallway lined with seven bedrooms, and fell onto the couch in the living room. She lost herself in a novel until she heard Cater come in through the back door. "'What's up?' Cater said when Sim rushed into the kitchen. He was sitting at the table with the notebook he used to keep track of his potion sales. "'I have a surprise for you,' Sim grinned. "'A book.' Cater put down his pen and raised an eyebrow. "'All right, let's see it.' In the time Sim had been reading, Kai had switched from concocting potions to fixing dinner. She turned from the stove, pushed up her glasses, and glanced from Cater to Sim. "'What's going on?' she asked Cater." Well, I think Sim is trying to tell me that I need to become more educated. What? Kai asked. Sim slid the book across the table. Cater's face froze for a moment as he read the title, and then his eyebrows and jaw stretched away from each other. Where did you get this? He asked, skimming the book's index. What is it? Kai stepped toward them. Cater put his hand over the title. Oh, it's nothing you'd be interested in. Kai's eyes narrowed as she looked from Cater to Sim again. You two are up to something. Not yet, Cater said with a smirk. Really, Sim said. So we're going to try it then. 
Are you kidding? Of course we are. Kai jumped and made a grab for the book, but Cater rose to his feet and lifted the brown leather-bound tome out of her reach. This is awesome. We could do it in the basement, he said. Do what in the basement, Kai demanded. Nothing, and don't you go snooping around, Cater said, suddenly stern. Kai stepped away and stood there for a moment, examining Cater's face. She groaned and turned back to the stove. Fine, don't tell me. I don't even want to know. Just keep it to the basement, all right? Oh, we will, Cater said, flipping through the pages. And don't think I haven't noticed you've been letting that animal back into the house. Sim glanced around the kitchen, but Drang's must have been elsewhere. She'd been hoping that Kai wouldn't notice her and Cater's new pet. I'm going to start getting everything that we need tomorrow, Cater said softly. I can help tomorrow night, Sim responded. I'm working now, remember? Ah, uh, yeah, how is it? Cater asked. He'd been so busy the past week that they'd barely, they'd barely seen each other. I like it. Cater, uh, Azer's really cool. Cater nodded. Awesome. I knew you'd like the Narrows. Prudence likes to hang out there when she's around. He flipped through the book and stopped at a page displaying an annotated diagram. This'll be so easy, except for the calibrating. We'll have to figure that out when we get to it. Azer might know, Sim offered. I can ask him to teach me. Cater looked up at her with a flash in his eyes. He grinned. Well, isn't that convenient? I guess it is, Sim said, and went to find Drang's before Cater could lecture her on fate and synchronicity, which she could now sense coming before he even opened his mouth. Looks like Kai's gonna let Drang stay in the house, Sim said as she left the kitchen. Huh, we'll see about that, Kai said. Cater smiled at her. Told you she would. <laughs>